Welcome to church. Today we're going to continue in our study of the book of Philippians and finding joy. And today we're going to be talking about finding joy through purpose. So if you would, grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1, and read with me starting in verse 12. Paul says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, Lord, just providing your word for us. We love you and we know that through studying your word, through a true, genuine faith in you, that we can come to find our purpose in this life and through that purpose we can find joy. Through that knowing of what we are to do, we can find joyfulness that no man can take away from us. So Lord, I pray that as we study your word, you would be here, that your spirit would fall upon us today, and that we would enjoy learning how we can better proclaim your goodness and glorify your name. We pray these things in your name. Amen. There is a desire in every believer, really every person, to have a purpose in this life. Uh, whether it's our life needs to mean something or we need to have an effect that we leave beyond generation after generation. We want to feel the impact and we want to know that we're having an impact on the people around us and our world really uh, so that we can feel accomplished and that we know that this life has purpose. We see here Paul in this passage speak of the purpose that he has in Christ and the change it can bring about uh, bring about personally as well as in the lives of others. Our, our joy and our purpose can actually bring about change in the lives of others and give them joy as well. And so the first thing that we want to talk about is Paul's purpose through his chains. Look, Paul in this passage, as we talked about last time, he's, he's in prison again. And we know of at least three times, biblically speaking, there may have been more, 
that Paul was in prison. And again, biblically, we see it three times. We see the first in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and we talked about that in our last sermon, um, Finding Joy Through Partnership. Uh, Second, we see him uh, go to prison in Jerusalem. Uh, This was found in Acts 21 and 22 when he's almost ending his, (laughs) his time, at least in the book of Acts. And then we don't know where he was the third time, but we know it was during his third missionary journey. And uh, he wrote many letters to the churches during these times. The most notable maybe is his last and final letter uh, of 2 Timothy. And this was before he was presumably beheaded. We don't know exactly how he was martyred, but most people believe that he was beheaded uh, by Caesar Nero. Um, but even, so here's the, the point of all that, is that Paul was no stranger to his chains. He was no stranger to being put in prison. But even as he was writing this letter, he was in chains, awaiting a trial before Caesar Nero, again, not knowing what his end was going to be. But given Nero's affinity for killing Christians, because Caesar Nero specifically was very passionate against Jesus Christ, it probably wasn't a very encouraging place for Paul to be. It probably wasn't a very, like he didn't, he probably didn't expect his life to last very much longer. And it would have been hard to find joy in this circumstance. Yet again and again, as always, we see Paul encouraged by the fact that Not only is he in chains because he's in chains for Jesus Christ, but through the being in chains, the gospel is being preached. Read it with me in verses 12 to 14. It says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul was taking his chains as an opportunity to preach the gospel and reach those around him. He was chained to a prison guard. He had nothing but time to talk to this person about Jesus Christ and sharing with him. And through that gospel giving, through that purpose that God had given him, he was able to reach many people, as we see here in the text, for the gospel. And many people came to know Jesus Christ through Paul's chains because of the fact that he was in chains. He was not complaining. He was not whining about his circumstances, about his hardships, when it would have been very easily easily done, and also justifiably so, he could have complained, but he didn't do that. He acknowledged the fact that God is in control of everything in every aspect of his life, and that he will work together for the good, all things for the good, of those who love him, as Romans 8.28 says. Our attitude in in adversity has an effect on those around us and their perception of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was using his circumstances to show people that it is not this world that we are a part of. It is not our concern whether we are in chains or even dying. We are going to give the gospel because that is our purpose behind following Jesus Christ. Our purpose ultimately is to give glory to Jesus Christ. But Philippians 4, Paul talks about rejoicing in the Lord always and not letting, we don't stop praising God and sharing his gospel because of our life circumstances. When things get tough, we don't stop. And, and not more importantly than that, 
it's not that we don't stop, it's that God doesn't stop being good to us. His gospel doesn't become less true if we are going through hardships and trials and temptations. His gospel doesn't stop being proclaimed because I am having a bad day or even a bad life. His gospel will continue. And when we understand our place within that gospel, within Jesus Christ's purpose for us, we understand that it is our job to overlook not ignore, but overlook the circumstances that we are in to see and to glorify Jesus Christ. Because of Paul's boldness in this, because of his boldness to continue preaching the gospel, to continue reaching out to others, to not focus on his immediate circumstances, even in chains, other men and women were encouraged to share the gospel as well. We, we see here that our joy through our tribulation can actually be an encouragement to others to have joy through any circumstance that they find themselves in. And so Paul is actually living a life where he's showing them the end of this physical life is not the end of the world. It is just the next step into salvation. And for us as Christians, it's the most glorious step. And we're going to be talking about that in just a minute. But we need to make sure that we don't allow our circumstances to stop us from encouraging others to worship and to glorify God. He is worthy of our worship in all situations, regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of anything really around us or anything that we can think of. God is worthy of our worship and he is worthy to be praised. And so we should be exemplifying that in our world. We oftentimes see Christians that desire to have the world come alongside and feel bad for them. Um, because of specifically in the Western world and and the truth of the matter is is that we have a business that we are to be glorifying Jesus Christ through the spreading of his gospel and through the worship of his of his being and that nowhere in the scriptures do you find unless you're going through a hard time in fact opposite of that we see oftentimes Jesus as well as others say when trials come when tribulation comes you know, you know that you are being tested by your faith. You are being tested in your faith. God is cultivating you in your gifts, and he is actually refining you to be a better, more mature Christian for his purpose, not for your own. And so we see that no matter what, and, and with Paul, Paul found purpose through his chains. And so that's important. But we also see that no matter what, Christ will be preached. And, and we want to read that in verses 15 through 18. It says, some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. And it's, it's interesting to see that there were different reasons that people were wanting to preach Christ. Specifically with, in the context that we see this, with Paul in prison, there were people, that we, and we know this from church history, there were people that were starting to preach uh, a, a 
let's go back to the law. Let's go back to the old covenant. Yes, Jesus is good and we love him and, and th that's not bad, but we need to add on all of these other things as well. We need to obey the law. We need to get circumcised. We need to obey the, the dietary laws, all these kinds of things. And they're adding that and they're taking the opportunity of Paul not being free <laughs> to travel around and, and visit these churches and actually um, correct their thinking. They're taking that opportunity to, to kind of weasel their way in and, and start planting these seeds of doubt in people and, and trying to change them and, and ultimately to say, follow me, don't follow this guy. And, and so Paul, is, his reaction to that is very interesting because this is a very common practice to try and go back to the old law, to try and add on to new believers, you know, old things. But in Galatians, if you turn to Galatians chapter 3, we see this and we read this. And in verse 19 of Galatians chapter 3, it says, uh, Paul is saying, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confer, uh, sorry, confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before the faith came, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So we see here Paul encouraging them, the Galatians specifically, that, look, we don't come under the old law because the law was there for a purpose. That, that law was there Ultimately, he says in Romans to show us our sins. It's a schoolmaster. It's a tutor. It brings us to the understanding of our, of our ineptability to save ourselves and, and points to us the need for a savior. Now, Jesus Christ is that savior. And so it deals with the law. He deals with the law in his sacrifice, in the promise of his coming and faith in him. And so in Galatians, we see that Paul says, look, we don't go back to those old things. But here in Philippians, we see that the, the law did come for a purpose. But not only is he not super concerned about that with Philippians, he says, either way, Christ will be preached. He says in verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, so regardless of how they and what reasons they're using for talking about Jesus, Christ is preached, and this in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. And here's the thing, is he's saying, ultimately, guys, Christ is being talked about. His, his gifts, are, or his, his being is on the people's hearts, it's on their minds, and it's on their lips, and he's being talked about. And so Paul says that what they would use to try and make him feel guilty or bad or, or even worried... What, they, what, the, what the naysayers would do about that, he's saying, you know what? At least they're talking about Jesus. And I'm going to rejoice in the fact that they're talking about Jesus. 
And not only that, it shows a great amount of trust that Paul puts into his churches that he, that he had started and these people that he had invested so much time and energy into. He's trusting them and saying, you guys can handle these people. You know how to deal with them. Christ is being talked about. And not only that, because you guys are who you are, I know that these guys may be changed because you will correct them. Paul was not going to allow others to afflict him with their attempts to belittle his work, his purpose that God has called him to do. He would, he would find joy in their attempts because his eyes were fixed on the glorification of Jesus Christ. That is what he was rejoicing in, was Jesus being glorified. And so no matter what these people did, he was going to rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is the focus of everything. The Lord should be the focus of everything. There is no situation that Paul could not find reason to rejoice and give praise to the Lord because that was his purpose. We talk about it in some of the, you know, uh, religious circles. We talk about what is the chief end of man and things like that. And, and really the truth is, guys, we bring glory to God. That is our purpose. That is why we were created. No other reason. No other reason. And so Paul is saying, I have been appointed for the defense of the gospel. That is my purpose. That is why I am here. That is why I'm in chains. And that is what I have been given to do. And I will glorify Jesus through that. He found his joy in what God had called him to do, regardless of others, regardless of what they were saying, regardless of what they were doing. Our purpose is to glorify Christ through our lives. It is the very reason we are to get out of bed in the morning. And that is so key is that everything we do surround should, <laughs> as Christians, everything we do should be filtered through Jesus Christ. It should be filtered through his word. It should be filtered through our calling that he has given us because everything we do will not amount to anything unless it's glorifying Jesus Christ. It will burn away in the, end, in the end of time. And so our purpose, our joy, is through that purpose of knowing that we have been called to do this and being confident that we are doing what we have been called to do. Paul was explaining that his entire purpose in life was tied to the calling that he was given. And that purpose caused him rejoice or to be joyful. And so we see, again, in, in Philippians, the book of joy, the how to have joy 101, we see Paul saying, regardless of anything else that's going on, I am going to be joyful and I'm going to actually look for reasons to praise God, not look for reasons to belittle or demean or get angry and worry about others. So the final thing that we want to look at is, is the idea of what gives purpose. Well, Christ gives us our purpose. Christ gives us our calling. Let's read verses 19 again, 19 to 26. It says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, for, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation, and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I have, <clears throat> sorry, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. 
And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for, the pro for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. We, we, we see here in these verses really the rock or the foundation or the crux of this entire passage. Really, the entire book of Philippians can be seen from this perspective of for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul encourages the Philippians that no matter what, in life or in death, in his life or in his death, in their life or in their death, Christ will be magnified. He will no matter what. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. Paul finds his purpose in living in and through Christ. Again, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything, it means that, that he, if he is dead, he is with Christ, which is the best thing for everyone. If, if I am a Christian and I die, I am where I, I am in the happiest place I can be. And I don't just mean happy in a way that, that we think, yay, I'm happy. I'm joyful. I am forever eternally with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And there is no better place to be. And so Paul is saying, like, that's far better for me to die. But he's saying if he is, in, if he is alive, then it's Christ who lives in him, direct, directing his every step. This is key because when we see how Paul <laughs> wraps everything who Paul is into his calling, we see that it is Christ who is directing Paul. And so when Paul, he understands that his purpose, his being was no longer his, but it was Jesus's. We, we come under the assumption that it's, it's Andrew plus <laughs> it's Andrew plus Jesus. And that's not how Paul at all is saying this. He's saying it's either I'm alive and it is Christ who is living through me, or I am dead and I am with Christ. And so there is this understanding that Jesus is the one who guides every, every step. There was no room for Paul to have input into his own life because Jesus was the king on the throne. Yes, does Paul have opinions? Absolutely. Does he have desires? Do we have desires and opinions and things like that? Absolutely. And we should, we should explore those and we should pray about those and we should think about those. But ultimately, who has the call is Jesus Christ. Ultimately, who, who makes the decision is Jesus Christ. And every action, every word that comes out of my mouth, every action that I do every day should be directed by Jesus Christ. And Paul was saying that. He was saying that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer Andrew. He's dead. Paul is dead. They don't exist anymore. It's just Jesus Christ living through me. And our purpose, which is to glorify God, I don't know if you've heard that yet, <laughs> it is fulfilled when we place him as the ultimate authority of our lives. We glorify him through through placing him in the position of authority over everything else that we do. He is the most glorified by a life that is dedicated to doing his will. And we see this through his, through his son, Jesus Christ. God is most glorified through his son, Jesus Christ, and his willingness to bear our sins on the cross. We see that. We see that Jesus was constantly focused on doing the will of the Father. He was constantly wanting to put the will of, G of God above everything else in this world. And we even see this 
perfectly, if you want to say that, in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying right before his crucifixion. And he's asking God to have this cup pass from him, if at all possible. But he says at the end of that passage, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so we see that admitting and submitting to the will of the Father. We see Jesus Christ telling him, this is how I feel, but I am going to submit to your will. Submission is a word that we get hung up on nowadays because we we don't feel like we should submit to anybody. But Jesus is pointing us to the Father saying, we submit to him, we submit to God, and everything that we do is his. And it's not my will, not mine, but Jesus's, not mine, but God's. Paul was ready to die for the gospel, and that is important because very few people, I think, even in today's world, especially Western world, I should say, how often of us have even been presented the opportunity to die for our faith? Not, not a lot of us. And so we say, would, we die for, would you die for Jesus? Of course, and we, we say it, but I think more importantly here in this passage, I think it's so important to note that he was ready to live for the gospel as well. Yes, he was ready to die for the gospel, and he knew that God would be glorified through his death. And ultimately, I I think we see through the writings of Paul and how much we have, I mean, he's written a lot of the New Testament. I think that his life and death were glorified, or, or God was glorified through his life and death. But his life is so important because he's saying here, he says, nevertheless, in verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. I understand that there's value behind me being here because if I'm here, then I can give you the gospel. I can train you up. I can make you disciples. And yes, eternity is coming, but I can wait if it means that you guys get closer to the Lord. And you see this laser focus of Paul here where he's saying, no matter what, I am focused on glorifying Jesus Christ in my life or in my death. And that is something that that is just beautiful. And when we come to that point, I don't even know how possible it is for us to ultimately come to that point, but when we come to a point where we understand that God's will is more important than my will, that his desires overcome my desires, and that I submit to his authority in life, when we truly do that, we truly understand what it means to have purpose here on this earth, because our purpose now has weight behind it. Jesus is the only one that can give that kind of purpose in our lives. Jesus is it. And I'm saying this as a very conclusive, concrete statement. And I know that there are people that don't like those kinds of statements, but I have tried the world and it has come up wanting every time. And most people that know Jesus Christ and have lived in the world as well will tell you they would never trade Jesus for what they had before. And if I can be open and honest with you for a minute, if it weren't for Jesus and his resurrecting power, his saving grace, his love for me, if it wasn't for Jesus, I would have killed myself a long time ago. And I'm not saying that to be melodramatic and I'm not trying to say that to get the hook in you. What I'm trying to say is that this world has very little, if any, true joy and true meaningful purpose to offer. 
If you think about it, the world lives for the world's pleasure. And there is admittedly pleasure in this world. There are, there are plenty of things that are pleasurable, but ultimately it comes down to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die when we live in the world's standards. When we live by the world's standards, there, there may be a sense of accomplishment at the end of our lives. We may have donated a lot of money to orphans, or we may have taken in orphans into our own home, or we may have you know, donated money to different causes, or been a good person, or we may have just been a person that kind of lived their life, worked their job, kept their head down, and just lived, breathed, paid taxes, and died. There is no meaning behind that life. Now Jesus Christ comes in. Jesus offers so much more than, than the temporary pleasure. He offers so much more than just a job that you work yourself to death in. He offers more than taxes. He offers more than death. He offers more than, than eternal blankness after you breathe your last he offers ultimate fulfillment through his glorification within my life. When I am glorifying him, I am fulfilled. I am joyful. I am enjoying life. And he offers that. He offer, he, he, I get to serve others and bless them with meaningful help. Whether that be in counseling sessions or just chatting on the street or talking at church or whatever it may be, I get to serve others and that is a beautiful thing. And I know that the way that God uses me to serve them may possibly have an eternal consequence or an eternal blessing for them. He offers that eternal life. Jesus Christ offers that eternal life in heaven with him. And that is not to be taken lightly. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. We need to believe in his, his death, his resurrection, his, his sanctification, his redemption of mankind. It is important that we do that. And yes, when we do that, we have eternal life with him in heaven, but ultimately, when we look at all of these things, he offers us something else. And that is true, meaningful purpose. He, get, he gives us a reason to get up every day, to roll out of bed, and to glorify him. He gives us a reason to go to work. He gives us a reason to have friends. He gives us a reason to raise our families right and to be moral, good, upstanding citizens, whatever you want to say. He gives us a reason for all of those things and that gives us that purpose. And that purpose, when we see it correctly and when he is glorified, that purpose brings joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the joy that you give us through your word as well as through your son. It is unimaginable. It's hard to put into words how amazing it is what you have done for us and the purpose that you give us. I pray that as we seek to continue to submit to your authority in our lives, to allow you to mold us and not try and put you into a mold of our own. Lord, as we allow you to do that, I pray that you would be glorified through our humble submission to your will. Lord, I pray that you would be patient with us because these are hard concepts that take big leaps of faith. 
But Lord, I pray for the people who need to give up, the people who need to, who, uh, who need to allow you to work in them. I pray that you would touch their heart right now and that you'd soften their grip on whatever it may be, that they would understand and see clearly that their purpose is to glorify you and you will take care of the rest. You took care of Paul, you took care of Peter, you took care of your son, Jesus. We know that you'll take care of us. We love you, we thank you, and we praise your name. Amen.